It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Happy War on Christmas, everybody! And as it's just about Christmas Day, and I know it's just about Christmas Day because we just started putting up our Christmas decorations, uh, it reminds me that I may not have wished people a happy Hanukkah, so happy Hanukkah, or a happy Kwanzaa, happy Ramadan, whatever you choose to orient your life around. I hope you have a good one this year. Lots to celebrate. Anyway, welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. On today's show, we will be building on our discussions last week about moral hazard or the way rich people manage to avoid the consequences of their own bad actions. And we're going to apply the concept of moral hazard to the big news stories of the week, principally the latest efforts to sabotage the United States of America, not all of which are being perpetrated by the president of the United States, the latest on COVID and the COVID vaccine, and the latest on the government funding bills and relief bills that are designed to keep our government running and to provide economic relief to millions of Americans who have been suffering through the COVID pandemic. Anyway, let's get right into it, starting with the latest in sabotage. We are reminded that this son of a bitch, who's the president of the United States, has four more weeks to go in his presidency. And you know what that means. Four more weeks of unbelievable mischief-making and damage that he can still do. And I laugh a little bit while I do this, as I'm sort of laughing my way to the grave. It, it, he's already giving us a preview of just how much damage he might be able to do in four weeks. As we've been talking about for months, with the prospect of him losing the election, having to leave, and oh my God, how bad it was going to be in, in the interregnum between the election, which is, it turns out there will be no interregnum if Trump has his way, uh, and Trump finally leaving. Well, we're starting to see that a little bit. Just a few big things about Trump's sabotage this week. Uh, the latest on giving away public lands to mining, oil, and gas industries. Yes, that's right. At the end of his presidency... The, I don't know, angry, spoiled little baby has decided that the best way to get back at people that he doesn't like is to basically just destroy this country beyond repair. And he is doing everything he can, of course, to, to, to poison, pun intended, to poison the waters for Joe Biden, his presidency coming in and greatly increasing the rate at which he is giving public lands away to mining oil and gas industries. And this fits, among other things, in, our context, in the context of our discussions of moral hazard with the idea that the only reason that these entities even want this land at this point is because they are not held accountable for the consequences of their own actions. Mining industries, destroying lakes, rivers, fishing, farming, whatever else, they're not responsible for that as a rule. Oil and gas industries, not responsible for, among other things, climate change, let alone the consequences of their damage. And this brings me to a discussion I've talked, a, a, a concept I've talked about a lot on this show, and one of my favorite topic topics, actually, the, context, uh, the concept of market externalities. 
Market externalities is, I guess, the flip side of the coin on moral hazard, which is just when people get other people to pay for their shit, basically. It's a little more than that. I'm referring to negative market externalities where two people decide to engage in some economic transaction and force some innocent third party, unsuspecting third party to pay for that. That's market failure. There could be there and there are positive externalities as well, such as when someone does two parties to a transaction create positive benefits for people who aren't a party to that transaction. Uh, negative externalities are the thing we need to have much more concern about, although both of them uh, present economic, basically economic failure to, to a large extent or a small extent, depending on how large the externality is. But the concept of negative externalities fits very nicely in our discussion of moral hazard because of the idea that people just don't pay for their own shit. In other words, they don't pay for the consequences of their actions. Famous negative externalities are, of course, related to smoking. Someone chooses to smoke cigarettes. Somebody else who doesn't choose to smoke cigarettes or to sell that person cigarettes gets sick or gets sickened by the smoke and, and ash, whatever, related to cigarettes. That's a, that's a classic negative externality. Pollution is perhaps the most famous of negative externalities where I might decide to buy a toy for my children and as a result, residents of some city in China are going to get sicker because of all the extra pollution that goes into the air. I, of course, should be paying for that. The fact that I do not pay for that and I get some unsuspecting third party to pay for that is the concept of market externalities, which is, as I indicated, the flip side of the concept of moral hazard. And as I indicated, moral hazard is generally something Republicans always talk about it in the context of poor people, but where we see it the most, of course, is in the context of rich people and people who are very connected. The fact is, market externalities are things that are generally caused by rich people and paid for by poor people, like climate change, like generally pollution, that rich people have figured out how to get poor people to pay for their shit. And this, again, goes back to my discussions that I have raised in class every semester about, well, at least rich people pay for their stuff. And of course, rich people never pay for their stuff. That's the basic idea. So the only reason that the mining oil and gas industries have any interest in destroying the rest of this country that they can't is because they're not paying for the consequences of that. So here's a radical idea, which is uh, let the oil and gas companies be responsible for the consequences of climate change. If we have major hurricanes that are beyond the historical average, make the oil and gas companies pay for it. Make the mining companies pay for the consequences of their mines, the pollution of waters, etc. Will that mean the end of oil and gas and mining? To a large extent in many places in this country and the world, yes, it will. And that's not a bad thing. Not just politically, but economically. Because as I indicated, this is economic failure every time it happens. But anyway, the, that, that's just one example of sabotage where Donald Trump is trying to lay waste to this country before he leaves. Other ways that Donald Trump is trying to sabotage the country and, and lay waste, well, laying waste to the Constitution, laying waste to criminal laws. Just, uh, just hot off the presses right now is Trump's statements of who he's going to pardon or grant clemency to. And in the next round of pardons and grants of clemency, 
we've got a few major categories of outright, awful, heinous criminals who are going to walk scot-free. And among those who are, who are slated to get pardons and clemency are a couple of really corrupt congressmen, like really, really awfully corrupt congressmen. You know, just the kind of swamp dwellers that Donald Trump told us that he was all about getting rid of. <laughs> That's a good one. What is it that these two Trump congressmen that are going to be pardoned have in common? Well, it turns out they were the first two congressmen to support Donald Trump. So there you have it. A president of the United States who, as he's made it clear, he's willing to do and will do whenever he can, who simply will make the law of the United States of America all about himself, supporting Donald Trump. And that's pretty much a common theme of, of all the pardons that he's announcing this week. Uh, another, another category is the murderers from Blackwater. Blackwater, the private army that has so undermined our efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan by being incompetent criminals, cowboys, uh, too busy to shoot everybody up and, and therefore, uh, or not too busy, too, too willing to shoot everybody up and therefore undermining United States military efforts in these areas. Well, the actual murderers, these guys, what was it, 17 in one incident, four people murdered uh, I think it was Iraqi civilians who had, had done nothing. They were tried for it, found guilty, sentenced to prison for being murderers. But they have the good fortune of having worked for a company that was bilking United States taxpayers, but, but also was run and founded by the brother of, of Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, who has stood nobly by the president, loyally by the president during all this time. So that apparently rates pardon for murderers. And then, of course, there were a couple more people who carried his water regarding Russia. Uh, people in his administration who lied about their contacts with, with Russia and Russian intelligence agencies. And in that sense, undermined the Mueller investigation into presidential misconduct and also facilitated Russia's efforts to undermine American democracy. In other words, true American heroes and deserving of a pardon, according to the President of the United States. Basically, all of which is being done outside of normal pardon procedures through the United States Department of Justice. That's where we stand right now with the President of the United States the, the latest sabotage of America is the Constitution and the rule of law just do not matter. We have a king. Well, some of the latest sabotage can't blame overall on Donald Trump. And that is, I started talking about this a little bit last week, the Russia hacking in the United States. A lot more information has come out since I spoke to you last Yes, Donald Trump cannot be held to account for the Russian hacking, although we will get to his role in just a moment. But we have been learning during the week just how bad this hacking actually was. And when I say how bad it was and how incredibly serious this is, I'm referring to we now know that the Treasury Department was hacked into, the National Nuclear Security Administration was hacked into, Lots of other government agencies were hacked into. But as I noted last, last week, here's the, the problem here. 
It's so serious in part because we don't know how serious it actually is. And what I mean by that is they just don't know how far the corruption, how far the damage has spread. Therefore, the response to this is going to have to be extraordinary because the assumption has to be that everything in our government is basically compromised. Russian hackers, or at least that's what U.S. intelligence agencies have all determined. (laughs) What do they know? More on that in a moment. But U.S. intelligence agencies have determined that Russian hackers, Russian government hackers, have gotten in through some private network management and security firms. Least it looks like two may have been involved at this point, but we're again, it's it's the story's still in its beginning stages. But they got through those private firms, they got into government agencies, and we don't know how far and what they have done. They have, in that sense, compromised all of our systems and all of our data in these, in these government agencies because we don't know what they've been able to screw with. Corrupting data, of course, could explain part of why the current president of the United States has expressed absolutely zero concerns about this. Zero concerns about what is now being described as quite possibly the single, quite likely, in fact, the single worst cyber attack in United States history. And the president of the United States has nothing to say. Well, again, not quite nothing to say about it. Um, The insane clown posse, worthless human being of a president hasn't quite done nothing. Um, He's only done nothing if you think that blaming China for Russia's hacking consists of doing nothing. He's only done nothing if you think that actually minimizing the problem that we have to deal with is doing nothing. He tweeted out in the last few days, and I quote, the cyber hack is far greater in the fake news media than in actuality, close quote. This, um, among all the things that the President of the United States is absolutely expert in and knows more about because he pulled that out of his ass than what the experts know, we can add to that list cyber hacking. Yep, knows everything there is to know about it. So he has minimized, he has, he has looked the other way for this whole thing. We do have someone out there trying to lead us through this mess. And that, of course, is president-elect and, in a sense, acting president Joe Biden. By acting president, unfortunately, I mean he gets to act like a president without the actual authority to run the country. But acting president, so to speak, Joe Biden has responded forcefully to the extent that he can and has talked about the only responses that we really can talk about, which is bringing the world together and somehow punishing Russia in a way that doesn't destroy the, the the world's computer systems overnight and probably lead to nuclear conflagration, whatever. So here we are. The president-elect doesn't even have any power, and he's trying to lead us through this mess. The current president of the United States is still in his fucking bunker tweeting about insanity and mostly, of course, about how the election has been stolen. And that, in the context, again, of moral hazard, Donald Trump 
should be at the end of the line for a COVID vaccine. I know his age gets him priority. His job should not. People are getting priority first based on their jobs. Several high-profile cases, including the vice president of the United States and the president-elect. But Donald Trump doesn't have a job. He doesn't do a job. He may be called the president of the United States, but the way he behaves as president of the United States should not merit him from getting some of the emoluments of his office, like a fucking vaccine that goes to somebody who's running the country. So that brings us to COVID and COVID COVID vaccine, the next topic of our discussion today. Uh, The latest numbers, more than 18 million Americans have been diagnosed with COVID. We have surpassed the 321,000 dead mark. And I, I, I'm looking at that number and I'm thinking, wasn't it like yesterday that I said, oh my God, we just passed the quarter of a million mark. And now by the time I speak to you next, we will have well surpassed the third of a million mark. Yeah, that's probably because it was. The numbers continue to be astronomical in number of people dying. The number for today, it looks like, from the CDC is well over 3,000 deaths in the last day. So this continues to be getting a hell of a lot worse before it gets any better. Adding adding to these numbers, I don't even have the the latest numbers, but I'm going to have to start reporting on new COVID injury numbers because I'm going to have to start reporting on the number of people in, injured fighting for their place in the line to get a vaccine, this is now starting to become a thing in the United States about fighting over who's going to get the vaccine or vaccines. We've just approved on an emergency basis the second vaccine, the Moderna vaccine. So that should greatly increase the pace of the number of people being of vaccinations. It's at the same week that this is going on, we're reading how bad this is. I want to take us abroad for a moment to the UK. It's not just the United States that's been totally mishandling and mismanaging the COVID pandemic. The UK has been as well, apparently, and they're really seeing the effects of that right now. Now, what do the United States and the United Kingdom have in common other than the word United right there in the title? It turns out what we have in common is that they have a Trump light leader. As I've talked about before, Boris Johnson is is Great Britain's version of Donald Trump's fucking clownness, clownishness as prime minister. He has been telling everybody things are okay. He's been downplaying the, the virus. He's been a mini Trump, as is his wont to be. And as a result, this absolute loser of a leader, uh, following the footsteps of our absolute loser of a leader, has just completely devastated the United Kingdom, where they're now being frozen out of the rest of Europe. They're being isolated. Yes, apparently there seems to be a new and more virulent strain that is going around the UK, and that seems to be bad fortune. But their failure to get on top of the virus is also a source of their bad fortune. Boris Johnson, just a few days ago, was promising that they we, we weren't going to shut anything down in the UK for Christmas. That would be awful. And now it turns out, whole freaking place is being closed down. Too little, too late. And there again, brings us, we, we get brought back to the concept of moral hazard. 
and how I undersold my case last week about moral hazard with respect to the COVID vaccine and COVID itself. We're seeing mostly in America, but obviously also in other places, jackasses, criminals, incompetents, liars, absolute shysters, certainly in the case of the President of the United States, absolute shysters continue to lie their way through the pandemic and make other people suffer and cost tens of thousands of lives in America alone. And why are they able to keep doing that? Because they're not accountable. Because Donald Trump will not be accountable for all the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, of people that he will, uh, U.S. citizens that he will end up murdering, in effect. He is not being held accountable. Not being held accountable to such an extent that he gets all the treatments that other people can't get despite the fact that they need it because of him. He's getting it, and so is everybody in his administration, everybody who's been lying about the, the threat posed by the COVID virus. He's not just getting treatment. He's getting special treatment, as are people like Rudy Giuliani in his hospital bed, special hospital bed that other people don't get, receiving treatments like monoclonal antibodies. That's been out this week. How he's been getting this treatment that other people cannot get. And he's still there getting this treatment in this privileged bed, telling people that the, the, the virus is less than it actually is. How the hell do these people get it? How do, how do they get treated like this? How is there no accountability here? Vice President Pence got a vaccine publicly this week. And in a sense, that's good. Because in America, we've got a bunch of idiots who may not even take the damn vaccine when it's available and we need people to take the vaccine. It would be perfect if Pence were in fact given a placebo. If they had this whole event stage for, for national TV where the vice president of the United States said, come on, everybody, take your vaccine. But in fact, we shot a sugar pill into his arm. Why? Because that son of a bitch should not be getting a vaccine that could go to an actual human being. Someone who has been helping people through the coronavirus, not helping to kill people through the coronavirus. So that would have been perfect. I, I, I'm not betting on it. Uh, the, the shit of the country and the shit of the world should be last online to get the vaccine, period, the end. They should be last in line to get treated in hospital beds, period, the end. They should be last in line to get scarce medications that have been shown to help people through the crisis. They should go to the end of the line. That is moral hazard for rich scumbags. Or, as Republicans would have it, <laughs> that's a complete non-starter. But I, I talked about what's going on with the vaccines. People are already trying to cut ahead of the line because, after all, if you are rich and connected, you live in a world where you do not play by the same rules as everybody else, period. Another example of moral hazard. You don't have to worry so much about having big parties and super spreader events because, well, you will get the kind of treatments that other people won't be able to get. Now we're seeing, it's just reported in Harper's, that rich people are offering to donate, quote unquote, thousands of dollars. They're, according to Harper's, up to $25,000 to doctors and hospitals in order to skip the line for vaccines. Uh, let me just say that people who do that should get injections. 
It just shouldn't be of the vaccine. But I, I won't go into it what they should be in, injected with. Maybe, maybe bleach. Um, again, the whole idea, rich, just never responsible for their actions. They don't play by the same rules as everybody else. I was talking about market externalities a few minutes ago. It's another opportunity here to bring up the concept of market externalities. Um, people with money are just used to making other people pay for their shit. And when you get used to making other people pay for your shit, you just create a lot more shit. Sorry, that's a lot of shit in one sentence. But anyway, and that's what ends up happening. I just, on, on a related note, uh, I just also noticed, I think it was also in Harper's Magazine, that an, an insurance industry report just came out and found that drivers of the Dodge Ram 2500 pickup trucks, I didn't even know they had numbers that big, Dodge Ram 2500 pickup trucks have the highest rate of driving under the influence DUIs among all car owners at more than double the national average. Now, maybe I'm making too much of this, but this surprises me not in the least because people who buy and drive the biggest vehicles, and I've talked about this at length in the past on my show. I don't have enough time to go through it all at length here. So go back to some old shows if you're interested in the subject. But people who buy and drive the biggest of SUVs and the biggest of pickup trucks do so because of the extent to which they just pass all of their costs onto other people. They cause greater numbers of crashes and they cause extra thousands and thousands of deaths on American roads every year. But for the most part, their cost to somebody else, not to themselves. Buy a Dodge Ram 2500 and somebody else's kid is probably going to die in an accident. It is, of course, the proliferation of these large vehicles and their tendency to back up over small children and kill them. I'm not making any of this up. That has led to the requirement that all new vehicles sold in America must have backup cameras. It's not because of me and my subcompact or my electric car. That's not, I'm not the one who needs the backup camera because small cars don't tend to run over children. I'm not saying it never happens. But the problem is with big SUVs and big pickups. I guess if they're running over their own children, that's not market externalities. But to the extent that they're causing accidents and damages to other people, to the extent that they are burning oil and gasoline at a ridiculously high rate, because they're just polluting the planet and they don't have to pay for it. They're not held accountable for climate change. That's market externalities. And it's it's just too many people now in America who are just think it's perfectly fine to have other people pay for all of their shit. And that, of course, is why it's so hard to do anything positive in this country and make real positive change. Anyway, that's enough for now on market externalities. I want to make sure I have some time to finish our discussions with the big story about, I don't know, keeping our government running. As of a couple of hours ago, I was all set to report on the good news, somewhat qualified good news because there's a lot of shit in the bill, but the good news overall that Congress had come to an agreement to keep our government open, to fund the government through September of 2021. We're about to shut down in case you didn't know that and to provide some COVID relief in a bill wrapped up all together in a nice little package that was going to be presented to the president. 
as of a couple of hours ago, it's all set to report on how this bill was going to go through and we were going to have dodged some bullet there. This bill that was government funding and COVID relief, or as Moscow Mitch describes it, the aid to GOP Senate chances in Georgia bill. Moscow Mitch has decided to support a bipartisan compromise to keep government running and to provide some COVID relief, not because he thinks it's good for the country. It is good for the country, by the way, but he doesn't give a shit about that. He decided to support the bill because he's worried about the GOP's chances to maintain its Senate seats in Georgia. Senate seats, of course, that it needs in another week and a half or so, that it needs for Mitch McConnell to keep his job as Senate Majority Leader. In fact, he turned to his political allies and noted that Kelly Leffler and David Perdue are getting hammered over the failure to provide aid. Again, he's going to support the bill because it's important to Republican chances in the Senate and Moscow Mitch keeping his job. The fact that it's also good for America is irrelevant, but hey, in this case, whatever, it worked out well for most of us. There are problems with the bill. Much of them reflected in the fact that I thought, I think it's just wonderful to announce where we are here. The battle lines for, for the upcoming Georgia Senate runoffs are really clear right now. The Democrats are promising to give their donors weed and Republicans are prom- promising to give their donors more money. That, of course, being the problem with the bill that too much of the money is going to go to people who don't actually need it. Nevertheless, it would fund our government and it would provide at least a first round of COVID, first round of the next round of COVID relief after the last one from March or April that, that this country greatly needs. And so at least it's something. Well, there was still a lot of pushback in the GOP. Moscow Mitch was reluctant for a really long time to put in some of the most important provisions. And it's, it's not what liberals would like, as is always going to be the case, because of the fact that the threat of closing government was there. Now, normally it's the party in power that is most susceptible to being threatened with a government shutdown because they're the party in power, they're going to get the blame. But of course, it doesn't really work that way with government shutdowns. GOP not liking government in the, in the first place and blaming Democrats for everything anyway and their moron supporters believing it pro- has more leeway in shutting down the government than Democrats do. Democrats who believe that government can actually do a wonderful thing. Gives the GOP a lot of leverage. The compromise bill takes out All direct aid to the states, though there is indirect aid throughout the $900 billion package and the related government funding bill. Because Moscow Mitch, of course, continues to describe any aid to states in the bill as a blue state bailout. That sells well in moron America. But of course, in in case I have to say this to my listeners, and I'm sure I don't, it is not a blue state bailout. Let's see, just reported... In the last couple of days, the Census Census Bureau data has revealed that food insecurity has doubled across the nation since last year. Food insecurity has doubled since last year. That means you don't know you don't know whether you're going to have a meal coming up. That's not a blue state problem. The Commerce Department data showed that every state saw personal incomes drop in the third quarter. Every single state in America saw personal incomes go down 
in the third quarter of the last year. Labor Department data also came out indicating an unexpected surge in weekly jobless claims nationwide. So, of course, it's not a blue state bailout, but that sells well in more on America. But beyond that, of course, I want to bring that back to our discussions of moral hazard. As I've talked about before on this show, in normal circumstances, the way this country operates is that blue states fund red states. I've said this a bunch of times before, but it's, it's worth repeating and it's worth kind of pausing for a moment. Blue states fund red states. Mitch McConnell's Kentucky is a net taker from the United States government. It gets way more from the United States government than it provides to the United States government. Whereas New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, California, blue states are all net givers. We give more to the federal government than we get back. Now, not that downright lying should ever get in the way of Republicans saying anything, but for the listeners of the show, you deserve better, and you should know just how, not only incorrect, but how offensive this comment about a blue state bailout is. I, I think blue states should just stop funding the red states. Let's just say, I don't know, there's got to be lawsuits we can bring up under the Constitution where you say New York does not have an obligation to fund Kentucky and we want as much back from the federal government as we put in. Now, of course, we're not going to do that. I don't assume that we could win on that, but even if we could, it doesn't matter, we wouldn't do that because we're not shit. And it's another reminder of why good guys always lose. So the bill has all kinds of provisions to help rich people and favored constituents of Moscow Mitch. There's there's bailouts for horse racing in the damn bill. You know, kind of a Kentucky thing there. It's a bailout for Kentucky, and it's a bailout for rich people to an extraordinary extent. Still, it's better than nothing. It's too little stimulus for those who need it. Extending unemployment benefits by only 11 weeks only $300 additional payments, whereas last time it was $600. But okay, it's something. It's important. And of course, too much for people like me who don't need it. I'm not complaining, mind you. I'll take the money. My family could certainly use it. But we don't need it. We don't need the bailout. Nevertheless, as flawed as it was, I was all set to report the good news of its passage. And then a few moments ago happened, a couple hours ago happened, and Donald Trump has come out in his efforts to basically not get involved in anything but to sabotage everything, and Donald Trump has threatened to veto the bill at this late stage, or more importantly, just put it in his pocket, make it go away until we have a new Congress in another, another week and change. Donald Trump, amazingly, has called for $2,000 payments for each individual, unlike the $600 that's currently in the bill, and which was capped at that because of Republican opposition to more. What's remarkable here is that Trump's position on this right now, until someone tells him what it is and then he just completely backtracks, which should be happening probably as I'm, as I'm speaking right now, is that Donald Trump is more aligned with the progressive Democrats. Gee, we could see Donald Trump and AOC holding hands on the White House as they sign the bill that Donald Trump wants. That's going to happen. Anyway, Donald Trump called for $2,000 for each individual. And 
progressives are on his side, which makes me wonder about the possibility. Could this be one of those moments? I have started the show and I've been saying constantly, I'm not out to get Donald Trump. I'm out to inform the American public and, and hopefully to provide more information about complicated issues to help people make their own decisions. But of course, when you've got someone who's this big a clown, is this wrong? It's really hard to find opportunities to support him and say he was right. I've always promised that when he was right, I would say it. Well, could this actually be the opportunity with, with, with less than a month to go in his presidency? Could this be the opportunity for me to say Donald Trump got something right? Wow, it's, it's all been theoretical until now that I, would, that I would say he did something right. That's actually not true. About two years ago, he gave a pardon that I thought was a good idea. And I said, that was a good idea. But anyway, Democrats right now are talking about sending standalone checks. They say, you know what? Donald Trump says $2,000. That's great. We're going to screw the Republicans here. Congress is going to quickly rush out a bill that just stands alone. Let's provide $2,000 checks to, to all individuals as a, as a way to do COVID relief and try to get it passed. Send it to the Senate and dare the Senate to just to just sweep the bill under the rug. May not bode very well for Leffler or Purdue in Georgia. And let the president come on TV and say, I'm with the Democrats. I'm, I'm willing to support that Congress's bill. And then put the Republicans and the Republican Senate in, in this vice between the two things. Well, that's assuming Trump has a constancy that he doesn't have. have. It's still pretty fun to think about. Uh, the, the, it's fun to think about Leffler and Purdue, by the way, caught in this vice tremendously. Leffler and Purdue are running for re-election by basically attaching themselves firmly to Donald Trump's ass. They've been the biggest Trump sycophants on the planet. We are Donald Trump. And now, of course, the Republican Party is going to be opposed to Donald Trump, and they are in a position, they've, they've been bragging about relief checks, but they've been with the Republican Party to prevent them from being larger. And now they're caught between a proverbial rock and a hard place, and I'm just absolutely loving this. Anyway, um, it's true that Trump made it clear that he doesn't understand the bills, that there's two separate bills, he's confusing the whole mess. But it is interesting that she that he has thrown this monkey wrench into the works. And it will be interesting, if not a little bit scary, to see what comes of this. And anyway, here's the funny bottom line for all this. While it's a great political winner, apparently, for the Democrats, I actually think, once again, Trump probably got it wrong. I think the, the more progressive Democrats, as much as I am generally with them, have probably got this one wrong. We need more money for people who need the money. Not more money for everybody. By all means, increase payments to people who have been suffering for, through the crisis. But leave the payments to the people who haven't all alone. Anyway, um, there are some positives in the bill, actually. And one I want to talk about because it, it actually relates to things that I have talked about in this, uh, on this show. A real plus that's worth discussing is that it will reduce surprise medical bills. And what I mean by surprise medical bills is it's really what a, what a screwed up healthcare system we have. People who have to get hospitalized, people who suffer from some emergency, people who have to go in for some operation may check in advance to make sure that they are in network, they're using doctors and hospitals that are covered by the insurance policies. Nevertheless, 
they get under anesthesia, they're in their hospital bed, and some doctor who's not in their plan pokes his or her head into their room, says, how's the patient doing? Here's, oh, you know, machines are still going. Okay, great. And then sends a bill for thousands of dollars that's not covered by the insurance because this was an out-of-network insurance provider. This is the most screwed-up healthcare system in the world, everybody. And maybe this will help build the momentum to getting the ball rolling to fix this ridiculous system. Anyway, this is one where kudos to some Republican senators for actually supporting getting rid of these surprise medical bills. Undoubtedly, these senators have had it happen to somebody really close to them. That tends to be when Republicans ever get something right. It's usually because they have a close family member who's suffering from it. Uh, It's rarely a principled stand. But whatever it is, the fact that Lamar Alexander has, I don't know, sons, daughters, grandchildren who've gotten surprise medical bills, great. Because this shit just needs needs to go out of our of our healthcare system. To get rid of these surprise medical bills, and it's a little complicated how it does that, but it's already being described, by the way, as a blow to the business model of private equity firms, whose business model, again, is to hose people who are near death and who suffered in the hospital. It's just, you you can't make this stuff up. Because the one industry in America that may be more effed up than our healthcare industry, of course, is our private equity, our Wall Street, our financial industry. Two of the worst actors in the history of the planet. Speaking of moral hazard, private equity firms will not be held account for the lives they ruin or possibly end. It's not their problem. They just want as much money as they can from you before you pass away. So this was seen to be a real slog, despite even having Republican support. It was just defeated a few weeks ago in a different bill, and yet it emerged in this bill. And if this bill ends up going through in the form that it's like, despite the overwhelming support of the American public, despite the support of both political parties in Congress, the lobbyists, the hospitals, the doctor organizations, and when I say doctor organizations, there are a lot of good doctors out there. I'm talking about the scum. The scum organization, the, the AMA and the, and, the, and the right-wing doctors and hospital organizations are totally against this because, again, it interferes with their business model of getting richer by taking advantage of their patients. Now, if we can only figure out when Biden takes over, how we can further stick it to these right-wing hospitals and doctors who don't give a shit about anybody but themselves. Anyway, more to talk about from the week, but I've gone long today, so... It's going to have to wait a little bit. Uh, I hope to come back to you between the two holidays. Until then, have a wonderful Christmas if you celebrate it. And I hope to see you before the new year. Till then, be safe, be well. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 